Hey, howdy, howdy, howdy. It's the 8th of February, 2023. For those of you tuning in live or later, I guess, you'll know when it happened. Thanks for being here. RobertScottBell.com slash listen. The, st- the show's about to start. We've got a great, great lineup, including Gail McRae, who I uh, I think I met initially. It was in um, Nashville a few weeks back. And there was a, a an event I didn't know was happening because Christian Northrup said, hey, this is happening. And I'm like, oh, okay. And it's called Stand Firm Now. We're going to talk about the affidavit you might want to sign to help make it impossible for the bad guys to deny what has occurred in the last two and a half, three years of COVID crazy. So that's coming up as well as Ty Bollinger. He's back. He's going to be here with us in the second hour of the Robert Scabell show. He might be on the road a little bit, but hopefully we'll be able to secure a solid connection with Ty. We've got a lot to talk about in terms of censorship, the suit that he's got going on uh, with Bobby Kennedy and others against uh, these uh, so-called media companies, social media companies. And, uh, well, first up, though, I will be challenged to communicate to you how significant this first story is in terms of when y'all said, that's not the hill I want to, you know, die on, right, about masks or other things. I think this is the one you might have to say, I'm going to stake my flag and not move from. Uh, We'll talk about it. Don't go anywhere. Tell your friends now. Come on over, robertscatbell.com slash listen. Chat room's there. See you in a moment. Super Don, let's get this healing party started. The Robert Scott Scott Bell Show. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Thinking about the myriad of uh, things that are important to you, to me, to all of us, and there are plenty. The question comes to my mind is like, well, where do we focus our energies? What would be the most efficient or best way to direct the energies that we have that some might say are limited in the human or physical body, in the spiritual body, unlimited? And and, and how do we want to spend that time while we're here? Knowing that there is an important place to have joy and celebration and fun and laughter. But then there are things occurring or witnessing state of the union. I'm not even going to mention <laughs> that, that go, Oh man, I'm not so thrilled and, and excited and, and celebratory about, you know, a lot of that stuff. And I said, Oh gosh, what, you know, the time you have here, what are you here to do? You ask about your mission and your purpose. And, and, and it's not all serious because we can get, we could be in a permanent state of fight or flight because we're so angst and anxious because of the disaster after disaster that we seem to be witnessing and living through. And as I acknowledge, you know, the reality of those things that are occurring that threaten our freedom, our life, our liberty, our pursuit of happiness. That is, you know, the ability to have the freedom to engage in, I don't know, what do you want to do in life? What do you most endeavor? What brings you that great joy? Do you want to be limited or restricted by government or by things that own and control government to limit your experience here on this earthly plane while we're here? And I I look at the myriad of topics, that myriad word is coming up again. That means many, a lot of things that are important to you. They're important to me. Now, some of these things we're very aligned with. You tune into the Robert Scott Bell Show regularly or semi-regularly because you really believe in the importance of bodily autonomy, health, freedom, healing, liberty. 
you don't take too kindly to folks, whether they're individuals or from an organization, corporation, government, or whatever that limit your freedom when it comes to determining what you want to do for your health, what you want to put in your body, what you want to eat, what you want to supplement with, what you don't want to utilize, injection or otherwise. And so in that regard, we, we can come together and say, yes, we have a, a, a common ground, common purpose. We might have other things that are distinct and different in terms of beliefs and whether it be politics or whatever. But what is it that we could come together on and say, this might be something we would go all together on and say, yep, I'm going to stake my flag in the ground and say, this is it. Don't, don't cross this line. And I hesitate to use the term. What hill do you want to die on? Because it's not like I want you to die or you want to die on a hill. But it's a, 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 as a figure of speech, you understand the severity and sincerity at that point where you're going, uh-uh, this is my, this is where I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give you a leeway. I'll back off a little bit here. But when it comes to this, uh-uh, you can't cross that line. Now, I'll dare go into history of the 20th century. Once again, if you missed our Friday interview with Vera Sharav and, uh, you know, never again has gone global. Her documentary that was featured all last week, it's still available, I believe, through chd.tv and other uh, outlets. And I go back, if I could go back in time and ask the people that were targeted for persecution, prosecution, or perhaps even elimination. We talk about death camps, concentration camps, the Holocaust, if you will. And, and go back with the knowledge we have of history now, go back and say, what is that one or few things that may, might have made a difference. You know, when you said, uh-uh, we are not going to stand for that. And now I'm not even talking necessarily about the Jews who were targeted or the gypsies or the gays or the handicapped that were targeted, but let's just talk about the average folks, uh, citizens of Germany at the time. What was it that they could have done to stop that madness? Maybe you would argue nothing could have been done. You know, as I've talked about, uh, a group called Jews for the uh, Preservation of Firearms Ownership, for instance. Am I so delusional to believe that some of my ancestors uh, would not have been slaughtered if they just had guns? Maybe some might have escaped. But certainly what I could say is that they would have taken a lot of Nazis down with them on the way out, as opposed to sheepishly walking and getting on the boxcars because of all the signs that were not paid attention to. And I, I'm not even saying necessarily accusing the victims of not doing enough, because that's not such a nice thing to do. You understand what I'm saying. But the average folks that were not targeted, that were by and large good people, probably didn't hate Jewish people just to hate them until they were programmed and frightened into it to such a degree. Maybe they believed the vermin, the unclean and all of that. And we've seen that parallel. That's what Vera Sharav's points are among many that we see parallels into what's manifested now, not targeting one race or religion, but a belief system in terms of bodily autonomy and not wanting to be in, in, in a medical experiment, a pincushion, for mRNA or any injections at this point. And so what would usher in and overcome your objection to say, uh-uh, you can't, you can't inject me. I won't do it. And a lot of people had to withstand a lot of peer pressure, a lot of economic pressure, family pressure, you name it, the inability to work, travel, etc. Some succumbed to it. Some thought they could get away with it and get a shot and ended up injured or even dead. But many of you that stood your ground, you're here in this audience. You said, uh, I, you know, I might wear a mask, but I ain't going to get the shot. 
Okay. So there was the mask thing. I heard a lot of people say, I'm not dying on that hill, but I'm, you're not getting me that shot. Now, the question is, how could they bring back the shot and succeed in overcoming your objection to say, uh-uh, there's no way you can get me to do it. How can they get you to change that from uh-uh, no way to, oh my God, if I don't get it, then fill in the blanks. I better, I better now get it because it's, it, it, it is now, I would die if I don't get it, even though you risk death by getting it. Right? Ask the question. Some of you may already have an idea about that, which leads to our opening story. The next declared emergency by the United States federal government, if they can get away with it. Headline reads, would a climate emergency open the same door to authoritarian governance as the COVID emergency? And this is happening on the Defender Children's Health Defense uh, uh, newspaper, if you will, by Aaron uh, Vandiver. And I think it's very interesting because Bobby Kennedy, who you know is the you know one of the founders of uh, Children's Health Defense, is an avowed environmentalist. And I don't say that in a negative context, but he does have, as far as I know, until I talked with him, talk with him further, maybe at another time, and ask him about his perspectives on it, uh, may have a, a full-on belief in what's called climate change. It used to be called global warming. Used to be called global cooling. Now he is not an authoritarian. Bobby Kennedy is not an authoritarian. I can tell you that from my interaction with him and his observations with him. He's not looking for, uh, you know, centralized bureaucracies to dictate what you have to do or you, what you can't do. So we can have disagreements perhaps on what we perceive is the environmental threat, whether it is an emergency or not, all of those discussions we could have rationally and talk about it. But in his paper, I say his, but the, you know, the organization that he's part of put on a very good article here. The state of emergency we are still in existing, existing under, which is related to COVID, was very immediate in its impact in terms of there's a danger. If we don't do it, we're all going to die right away. And enough of the people of the, of the planet, and certainly in America and much of the Western uh, world, bought into it. Even if it was, well, we'll give you two weeks, as they said, two weeks to flatten the curve. And then you find out it goes to two months and then two years. And maybe because of this, we now figure this emergency situation ain't good. I don't think I want them to do this again, and I'm not going to get along or go along with it. And, and as it, as it uh, relates to a climate emergency, the distinct difference here from a COVID emergency is they don't have the argument that if you don't comply right now, you're all going to die of X, Y, and Z or, or a virus or whatever they claim it was. So they don't have the strength of immediacy in terms of a fear campaign, the fear porn we talked about and lived through. So I don't think it would succeed in that way. But if there are enough people that go along with it, then they can get away with anything, as we learned also. Because the only reason that the Biden administration is lifting, theoretically, by what is it, April 11th, May 11th, what was the date on that? was because now the House of Representatives has Republican control, not that I'm a declared Republican, but I acknowledge that there is a distinct difference right now between what the Dems, have. they've been all in on mandates and prohibitions and support of big pharma with no uh, oversight, really, and certainly no liability should people that succumb to uh, the pressure and get the jabs and end up injured or killed. There's no liability for the, the companies that made these things. You can't sue the government unless you can prove fraud, which, you know, there may be evidence of that, and that might be, changing over time. 
But if we look at what the climate emergency would bring as it parallels some other emergencies that are being ushered into, and I would say partly because of another emergency that shouldn't be an emergency, the Ukraine versus Russia, Russia versus Ukraine conflict that we're sending how many trillions of Federal Reserve notes printed out of thin air and other things over there to absolutely destroy what is left, what shreds of value are left in a Federal Reserve note called a dollar, wrongly so, to the point where we have a currency collapse and a rejection of the dollar as the world's reserve currency and when and if that happens or if and when that happens. How the impact of the inflation you thought you felt over the first couple of years of the Biden administration will accelerate far beyond to maybe Zimbabwe dollar levels. If you guys have, you know, $5 trillion, $10 trillion, $50 trillion Zimbabwe dollar notes, which I, ha- I have one to show everybody com- compared to a silver dollar, for instance, an actual silver dollar. And what happens then, and what is happening now is not science fiction fantasy. It's not conspiracy theory. It's the movement towards digital identifications, digital identifiers. Back in 2005, following another emergency after 9-11, artificial as that was, read the Project for a New American Century, PNAC report, and you'll understand how they telegraphed exactly what they needed and were going to do in order to do what they were going to do next in terms of what really happened at 9-11. And in 05, they said, hey, we've got to to digitize, uh, if we're not going to call it digital, but we've got to somehow harmonize and unify all of the states and their identification, driver's license and state IDs to have biometric data tying into social security numbers, medical identifiers, so that we can track terrorism. Remember, it was the boogeyman of terrorism that was going to convince you to just go along, get the digital ID when there was no constitutional basis for identification on a federal level other than a U.S. passport, if you wanted. But other than that, it was left to the states. Now they had to harmonize. And now it's, uh, what, 18 years later since they passed that thing, and they're delaying again the implementation of real ID. And I've warned folks about where this leads to vaccine passports, which we've seen massive uprising in Europe, although they're more accustomed to these hundreds of thousands of people marching in the streets over many things, perhaps. So maybe it doesn't have the impact you would think, but... We suck at protests in America compared to what we've seen in Europe and other places. Maybe because we've had it too easy. But the next national emergency, if it's a climate change emergency, it won't have the immediacy of a virus that's going to kill you on people's minds. But what will they be able to sneak in because of that? And in this article, they go to that. When Superdon brought this to my attention, I said, you know what? I want to tie this in to digital IDs and something called CBDCs, Central Bank Digital Currencies. Why? Because you are going to have a carbon passport. If the vaccine passport didn't work, it's the carbon passport that they would promote. What does that mean? That means that you, a carbon-based life form, you're expending energy, you're using energy, and we've got to limit that in order to save the planet or whatever they want to say they're saving. If it's the people, I don't think it's the people. They're trying to reduce the people on the planet. But with a carbon passport or just any form of digital passport, you can can name it anything you want. You can give it a stamp or a label. But the digital ID now is tied in to your ability to access what you think is your money. The money most Americans work for is paid to them in Federal Reserve Notes 
maybe even digital through direct deposits issued by the Federal Reserve System, which is neither federal nor has any reserves. It is not part of the U.S. government. It is a private banking consortium, and it's owned by the wealthiest uh, families on the planet. That's not arguable. Read The Creature from Jekyll Island and many other things, tying this into the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund, and they want to do SDRs, which are called special drawing rights, to set up and establish a worldwide digital currency. That would be tied to what? A digital ID that is tied to, just like in China, a social credit score. And they find out you have an opinion based on your social media interaction that violates a woke hashtag woke mandate. Whether it be about religious views, uh, views on sexuality, color, you name it, pick it up. And suddenly now you find that you can't access the funds that you thought were yours through the banking system that is fully digitized as it's linked to your unique identifiers through real ID on steroids in America now, or other IDs that they're promoting in Canada and Australia, New Zealand, and Europe. And I don't know if I'm doing it all an adequate job in relating to you how this is the most important of many most importance. Because how, how are you to say that? Everybody's got something that says, this is the most important thing. And I'm not necessarily trying to dissuade you from whatever you think is important, but maybe to turn your attention to something that is something you should never allow to happen. Because if you do, if they do implement these digital IDs tied into digital currencies, you basically have your passport onto boxcars because that is next. Now, they might not need the boxcars on rails taking you places because they can lock you down within a 15-minute city or your own home and make it so it's so digitized that you can't access the public, what we call transportation systems because they've locked you out of internal combustion engines and now it's all batteries and those batteries are so expensive that only the uber wealthy can afford them so now you're forced to ride on buses and trains and any other public sector thing that requires you to use a biometric digital identifier and the moment they've identified you as a scofflaw as a uh, a bigot a racist whatever they call you you got the wrong beliefs, political or religious or otherwise, they shut you down. And so they don't have to put you on a boxcar. Your very home becomes the boxcar you die in. Unless there's charitable neighbors, but those neighbors are told to turn you in for bad behavior and they are locked down if they comply with your friendship, with their concern for you, rather than the compliance with a centralized bureaucracy that says you must live this way and you must turn in those people that are wanting to destroy the environment because they want to stay warm in the winter and they're willing to burn anything to do so. The way they can succeed in all the things that you say, well, I would never participate in that. If they succeed on the state levels in adopting the federal attempts at digitizing all IDs, then you will find yourself locked out of all the access points that they give to provide some form of welfare that they won't call welfare. Let's say this is your right. This is your monthly stipend. We're going to give you, here's your uh, monthly uh, egg, egg, you know, here's some eggs for your powdered eggs that you can, but if you're not in that system, you are now on the outs. 
And now you become, I, I don't know, a, a science fiction film. Many of these dystopian novels made into films in real life. And this is how it happens. The point is there is a pathway. There is an actual mechanistic pathway that you can see one to the next, to the next, to the next. And if they implement that, it's game over. And now you're living in a feudal society where you have the, the locked in cities where everybody's got their thing and everybody else out there trying to uh, fight for scraps in a post-apocalyptic, uh, you know, Mel Gibson movie. And this is without preparation, me trying to communicate the, the, the sincere desire I have so that you see how serious this is if you aren't already there. Many of you are, and you see this. The question is, what will? I don't know. I, I'm not pretentious and, 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 and uh, what would I say, delusional enough to think that I could change things on my own, but just to communicate and tie these things together to help you understand that this is how it happens, that it's not just a, it falls out of the sky. It's because we comply. The reason they're ending the emergency of COVID is because you've, you're so fed up, you're no longer complying with masks and jabs and on and distancing. They couldn't do it. They can only do it if you comply. And if you comply on real ID and go to the next level, the next level, the next level, you are creating a prison, if not for yourself, then for your kids and their kids. And they will not know freedom except from reading about it in books that are banned and burned. So, Super Don, I want to bring you into the mix before we go to uh, Gail McRae, and she might have some things to share about this uh, uh, this subject. I know it's a difficult one. People don't want to address it. It's like, no, we just got out of COVID. I want life to go back to normal. I know I, I don't like <laughs> life, but come on, Robert, stop bothering me with these digital IDs. That's not real. Is it not yeah. real? It, you know, it can be hard to wrap your head around, I think, um, because, listen, we're surrounded by potential dangers sure, all, all the time. And yeah. we talk about a lot of these things. You know, we, we look at what has happened in history, mm -hmm. and then you look at what's going on now, and if you happen to be one of those people that hasn't succumbed to a national case of Alzheimer's disease, which yeah. seems to be very common, you know, that people just... Oh, what happened four years ago? I don't know. You know, they just, they forget about stuff, what people say, yeah. what happens, what the government does, legislation that's passed, you know, they just, people just, ah, you know, and it's like something happens and they're just shocked. Oh, I can't believe that happened. Well, you know, th that started like eight years ago, you know, they've been in, you know, the, the, the creeping incrementalism, right. Of government. Yeah. It's a real thing. So, you know, when you start talking about digital ID and how they could tie the distance, like we haven't really experienced anything like that yet that people can relate to it's new right yeah. it's it's something that you know could be happening and you're trying you're reading the tea leaves right you know and you know here's what's you know this this could be happening and this could be setting a now <clears throat> sometimes on these things things don't happen the way they think that we think they're going to happen mm -hmm. and i think people you know people will then they'll think about that and they go oh well you were saying that this was going to happen and that was going to happen and that didn't happen so this could just be another one of those things that you're just being paranoid about or something right yeah. So I think it's very difficult for people sometimes mm -hmm. to to connect with that, as opposed to if you look at what this this Defender article was all about, mm -hmm. right? Where they're talking about, oh, well, we'll have a climate change, a climate emergency, right? Yeah. We just got done dealing with the whole COVID emergency thing. We know what happened. We saw it in real time as it happened. So I think people can relate to that more mm -hmm. than than the digital ID thing. <clears throat> but look at the, the 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 stars of David, you know, or you know, we talked about in Israel the willingness to go for these vaccine passports among the people that should know better than any other people on the planet, the risk of segregation based on, you know, some kind of status, you're clean and you're unclean. 
and that's what Vera Sharab's point is, is that if we do not take the heed to the, the, the lessons of history, even recent history, we are condemned to go down that path again. It'll be a mm-hmm. different way, but the same manifestation in some other, some other way, but similar. And, and, you know, my point is if you want to choose a hill to, to say, uh-uh, you ain't crossing this line, I'm right. just saying that digital ID, I want you to understand the implications of it and how it ties into your freedom to spend money, to make money, to access that money and all that entails, including right. buying food, much less getting seeds to grow your own food. And the thing is, Robert, if you're right, mm-hmm. there's no coming back from that. Yeah, I don't know how you come back from that unless you're right. now you're in a bloody warfare. Yeah. You're in a it's once, yeah, I mean, you know how the government works. Once they yeah. take a little bit, it's not like they give some of it back. Give it back. Exactly. No, it never happens. So to your point there, Super D, that's as serious as I, as I, as I can be right. in, in a show that I like to be uplifting and lighthearted. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but this, this today I need to, to get off my chest as you, you brought that uh, uh, article on a climate emergency to my attention. So I thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And I hope that y'all can r- roll with it and communicate it better than I did because I feel like it's as important as anything I've ever communicated here on the show. Now, I want to bring some other important things to discuss in the COVID emergency, what that, what that meant, uh, the, the harm, the injury, the deaths that were artificially induced that maybe didn't need to happen. We have people like Christian Northrup, Dr. Northrup. She's an amazing doc and just a, an amazing human being, a soul on this planet at this time. I'm honored to be on this planet with her. And I was introduced to her friend, uh, Gail McRae, who's got an interesting story as well as she connected. And uh, we were together in Nashville at the Reawaken America Tour. And on the Sunday after the event, uh, they hosted an event outside of Nashville, closer to, um, I forget where it was, but that really yummy restaurant that served all organic food. <laughs> and I went there and they were signing affidavits uh, about harm, about injury, and and doing it in a way with wet, what they call wedding signatures and a video uh, proof of it that would maybe manifest should the courts become a viable opportunity to push back on the great evil that has been done. And with that, I want to learn more about what this is and maybe how it impacts all of us and maybe how you might want to take part in this. Gail McCray joins us now on the Robert Scott Bell Show. She's also a nurse, and she's got a, quite a history to get to this point. Gail, thanks for being on the show. It was so good to see you and meet you in Nashville. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for having me. It's funny you brought up the uh, digital currency into this. Our attorney actually... Uh, the main draws for him to this case is to set us up to block digital currencies. And uh, that's that's a lot of the uh, legalese written into this document come mm. from uh, his uh, prediction uh, of the future, near future of the digital currency. Mm. So that, that's uh, another thing to add into this. But I, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. I wasn't aware of that aspect of it, Gail. And I thank you because that means... I'm not alone <laughs> in saying, hey, there's something going on here. It ain't good. And there's a very, uh, uh, let's say, visible path to what they want to achieve. They're not hiding it, but we must access what it really means and what it would manifest as if we do not put a stop to this. Yeah, he's a really neat guy. So he uh, he's an ex-Marine. They tried to recruit him into the CIA. He wouldn't go for it. Uh, mm. He got a taste of what they were doing, and it led him to law school actually specifically uh, because he was so appalled by what he saw going on in the military and special ops. So that was, I think, over 30 plus years ago. But uh, so he finished a JD and then uh, because he refused to submit to the bar, which is a private 
uh, corporation that is beholden to the crown. I'm sure you know about that. Yeah. Uh, he chose to get um, um, certified through, I'm going to botch the name of this, but it's the uh, National Native Americans Legal Association. Mm. So he has a separate but equal uh, uh, judicial standing that allows mm. him to practice without being a member of the bar. Oh, this is great. Now, I've heard of things like this in various realms, including licensure under uh, Native American uh, treaties uh, for medicine and other healers as well. And mm -hmm. this is, I find this quite, I don't know if ironic is the right term, but here we are, you know, we go back to the history of, of, of the history of earth is about people conquering people, right? It's not just white people from Europe coming over and conquering Native America. I mean, it's this colonialism has been part of the history of the world. And here we have the Native Americans may be the thing that salvages freedom in America. It's, it's like a wild thing to consider because of the treaties and the way they, they can be exploited, the, if you call them loopholes or whatever, but the freedom that is exploited in that way. So I'd love to meet this, this guy, this attorney that you're working with, and maybe if he's willing to come on the air, talk with him further about it. But maybe give me a little bit more of your backstory, Gail, of how you connected with Dr. Christian Northrup and this affidavit thing. Let's talk more about it. And we do have a website linked up for those of you who want to go ahead and read about it. Stand firmnow.org standfirmnow.org so let's go into the backstory and lead into this yeah so i was just a regular nurse uh, i had been working in the bay area of california for about 10 years i graduated from an excellent um, university in california and uh, i went immediately into hospital medicine i worked in icu telemetry med surge and even from the get-go, I knew that my passion was in moms and babies. And so I pursued a graduate degree uh, to become a certified nurse midwife and a women's health nurse practitioner. And that all actually came to fruition while uh, the COVID pandemic was starting. Uh, I have an interesting background from the get-go. I uh, I was homeschooled, and I think that that really gave me a, a unique um, engagement platform with the world and that um, I, I learned in my teen years that, you know, fitting in or not fitting in was okay. And I got comfortable with being different because of that upbringing. Uh, I met and married my husband pretty young. We were, um, I was 18 and he was 21 and uh, we were, we've been together for about 20 years now. Uh, we put each other through college. He's a civil engineer. And, you know, we were just living and working in the Bay Area. We had two small kids. Both of our families were there. And uh, when the lockdowns uh, started, my husband asked me, he came to me in uh, February, just before the onset of the lockdowns. And he said, honey, you know, what do you, what's going on at the hospital? Do you, you know, do you see anything going on? And I said, you know what, they're, you know, thought we're having normal admissions. And I'll let you know if, if anything does go on. So they started locking us down in March. The hospital uh, had uh, reduced hospital admissions, as a matter of fact. And then uh, Stanford released a study in April of 2020. Uh, it, it showed that actually, in fact, the um, herd immunity rates were significantly higher than had been originally predicted. And they predicted the death rate to actually be uh, near 1%. So at that point, 
I told my husband, you know, there's definitely nothing to worry about here. This is comparable to influenza and, you know, everyone is going to be fine. Unfortunately, uh, you know, the media and the hospitals weren't picking up on any of that. And uh, that's what really drew my attention to the fact that there was something else pretty nefarious going on. Uh, I also noticed at that time that we began administering remdesivir to our patients. And that was the only medication that was permitted by the CDC. It was the only recommended medication for hospitalized patients with COVID. And all the nurses could tell from the get-go that it was not helping. Uh, not only that, but we were taught in nursing school not to administer antivirals more than 48 hours off, uh, after symptom onset. Mm -hmm. So that was a really uh, confusing scenario where they had us, you know, giving a medication. They were giving you orders to give medications in ways you were told in your training was not appropriate. Correct. And, and, and they so, were not helping. They were causing harm. So I would yeah, I would watch patients recover from COVID and then I watch them go into renal failure and pulmonary edema. Uh, you can tell the difference on a, on a chest CT scan, the difference between uh, pulmonary pneumonia and pulmonary edema. Uh, the lungs become cloudy in pulmonary uh, pneumonia and they pretty much white out with pulmonary edema. Mm -hmm. And so that's really the difference between uh, death from COVID or, you know, pulmonary pneumonia versus uh, so pulmonary you, edema, yeah. which was from just severe poisoning. So Gail, did you have a moment where you said, I, I can't participate in this? Or did that come later when they said, now you have to receive this experimental mRNA injection in order to continue working? I kept on with it. Um, I kept trying to talk to my colleagues. Uh, I didn't want to give up and I still won't. <laughs> Although now it's in a different way. Uh, I stayed there and kept working. And I, every day I would speak with my colleagues about how, you know, remdesivir wasn't working. Um, you know, I, I would voice how criminal it was to isolate patients from their family members when they were sick and dying. Uh, that absolutely is torture. Uh, it should be illegal to not allow family members in a hospital with their dying loved ones. Uh, but I, so I continued on, but so to, to that point, it was in December of 2020 when, uh, Pierre Corey, Dr. Pierre Corey, one of the most respected, in, respected intensivists in the country got up in front of the Senate and told them about how successful alternative treatments that they had found were. And, uh, they just completely ignored what he had to say. That was when I really knew that we were in for something fishy. So when the, when the injections rolled out to the public, I decided not to take them because I had had natural immunity and they, they released them into our community. So I live in, in a community in uh, the North Bay area where we had a very high compliance rate. Uh, everyone there was really excited to get these uh, vaccines. And uh, I call them that because they're really not a vaccine. They're gene therapy. It's a therapeutic yeah, and not very therapeutic when you think of a benefit. Uh, it's a, a therapeutic detriment, if that makes sense. Uh, Absolutely. And that is, in, in fact, what I saw. So uh, within three weeks of the rollout to the public, my hospital in Sonoma County, uh, and this was reported to me from my manager, he walked up to me and he said, our hospital has had three times higher admissions than we've ever had since the hospital opened their doors. Once again, was, after the jabs were implemented and people were voluntarily going, yeah, give it to me. And, and, and the people 
that went to get them. You're in North Bay. That's considered largely a, a very strong Democrat liberal stronghold of California. Uh, they very much hated Trump and they wouldn't have complied if it was a Trump shot. But the moment Biden got in, it was OK. It was like so vacuous in terms of intellect and what happened there. And then they might have been anti pharma when Trump was president and suddenly they're pro big pharma and everything that pharma would bring. Ugh, it's just so it's maddening because these people are not stupid people. I don't say that, but they're very much parked their in intellect aside and went with emotion and feeling and they, they with a fervor and the fear and how dangerous that is for anybody, much less groups of anybody's to get together in fear and act on that fear. Yeah, it was really interesting. I was part of a group. So in our community, there was a few of us who started this weekly session um, for people who were being attacked for voicing um, the truth in our in our workplaces. And there was about 120 people in this group. And I mean, that was a pretty decent sized little group. And, you know, of all of those people, they all knew what was going on. And, you know, what really shocked me through all of this was how few of them were willing to lay it all on the line and stand up and do something about it. Uh, of that group of four of us, I, I know for a fact that, or sorry, of that group of 120, I know for a fact that four of us did stand up against it and we lost our jobs and, uh, you know, we refused to comply with all this, but you know, it was, this has been really the most confounding thing for me through all of this is like, I just can't, I just can't imagine how we could have so many practitioners who are aware of what's going on and who are unwilling to stand up to it. Now, I know a lot of practitioners aren't aware of it. And it's like you said, there's a lot of that brainwashing that has been extremely successful with them. And even to that point, I mean, I don't understand how they could. I just saw uh, just two days ago, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Cochrane. Cochrane Collaboration. We've covered much yeah. of their work over many years here. Yeah. So Cochrane just released a study on um, masks showing that there was no uh, efficacy noted. And that was with cloth masks versus surgical masks versus N95s. Hmm. And that was both in the public and in the hospital-based settings. They found no correlation to a reduction in cases uh, of COVID and, and influenza. So it was specifically on uh, these types of populations with coronavirus and influenza. It's, you know, it's, it's purely placebo. If you believe it works, I guess it works because there isn't any valid evidence beyond that. Uh, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So after that threefold increase in hospitalizations, my staffing department was just calling me nonstop for those months. So that it happened in June when when my manager approached me and said that to me. Uh, and 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 at that same time as well. So I was in graduate school uh, during that time and I would do uh, 10 weeks of, of tests and studying and then three weeks at the hospital. So in my three weeks at the hospital before the rollout of the injections, I would I would most of the time get canceled. Uh, but after these injections, I was working doubles nonstop for those three weeks when I was on my break. One of the other really thing, important things that happened there is uh, the, the hospital I worked for was Kaiser Permanente. And because it's a fully inclusive medical care system, uh, we had our hospital, pharmacy, uh, doctor's offices, and the vaccination clinic right there on the same uh, um, campus. And so in the hospital, uh, they put that, that 
vaccination clinic on the lower level, which was just under the hospital. Mm -hmm. And when we would, uh, we would hear code blues to the lower level. So before COVID vaccine was rolled out, I, I would hear usually about one code blue per shift. Uh, and that was consistent across my entire career for about 10 years. After the rollout of those jobs, I started hearing between about six and 12 code blues per day. And for people who don't know what a code blue is, that's when somebody stops breathing or goes into anaphylactic shock. The mm -hmm. hospital call on the overhead, um, the overhead comms, yeah. you know, cold blue, and they'll give you the location. So they'll tell mm -hmm. the doctors to go to the patient's bedside, which they would be it. like room 250. And in this case, they were calling all the code blues down to the lower level. So it was very clear where all this anaphylactic, uh, anaphylactic shock was taking place. Well, and in, and in some cases, we covered the stories of uh, DNRs issued by doctors with no parental or family authority to do so. I mean, the killing fields, the overt killing fields of the hospitals, it wasn't about a battlefield. It was about the hospitals became the battlefields against those who thought they had to go there to, to live and they were terminated. Absolutely. Uh, I, I want to pause for a moment, Gail, and just, you know, reference, you know, the, the personality disorder we have or the personality worship disorder we have. There were people that loved the shot because Trump was going to bring it out. And there were people that hated it because Trump was going to bring it out. And then it flipped a little bit when Biden came in and then suddenly they were all for it. And then the people that were for it when Trump was there were not. Now, there were granted people that were supporters of Trump that said, uh-uh, Trump, uh -uh, I'm not doing the shot. Don't care if it's you or anybody. And, you know, find those people that saw through the personalities and said, no, on principle, that is not going to pass here. And I would ask people from all of the, the you know various political belief systems to get beyond personality worship or fear of personality. And so let's go back to principle. Let's go back to the doctors, the scientists, and also the lay people that have studied more than some doctors and scientists that point out the dangerous absurdities of looking for political messiahs, much less uh, medical or PhD messiahs in the form of an injection. This is also a, a you know a fantasy that is more akin to a Jim Jones Kool-Aid cult than it is to actual medicine that we would say is legitimate, standardized, validated, even reviewed by the peer review method that's not sham because some of it is is legit, a lot of it is sham. And so that leads us to this strategy moving forward in the uh, 15 minutes or so we have with you Gail left. Standfirmnow.org what is this strategy? And you mentioned this uh, lawyer that is working on it as well. And it involves people coming together, primarily healthcare providers. I don't know if it's exclusively and only that, but you'll tell me about that. Uh, signing an affidavit, statements of belief, valid truths that then have to be challenged. They are accepted unless they can be challenged in a way that they could be submitted as evidence. I don't know if prima facie is the, is the right term here, but yes, it is. evidence. Uh, that has to be refuted and that was probably wouldn't be able to be refuted. So it's a new technique, a new strategy. Talk to me about the strategy, this website and how people can plug in. Yeah, that's exactly what our attorney calls it. Prima facie evidence. So um, that, yeah, all of those experiences led me to this, uh, to this group, uh, Stand Firm Now, Christiane Northrup and the, a team of doctors uh, created this document and it is, the reason that we've done this is because we failed in court so many times. I've been a part of at least half a dozen uh, lawsuits that have been thrown out. And this just seems to be the trend is that the judges are not upholding um, 
our rights. Uh, they're not upholding the Constitution. And uh, they are going against uh, the people here and throwing out our cases. So this affidavit, the reason that we plan on uh, making this a complete and utter success is because we're not giving them any other options. Uh, gathering expert witnesses, so that would be doctors, nurses, scientists, and people who have witnessed firsthand uh, the fraud of COVID. Uh, the, the affidavit is pretty neat. It's a pretty straightforward document. Uh, me as a nurse, I had no problem signing that and feeling that I had the expertise to do it. It doesn't matter if you're actively practicing or if you've already retired. Uh, the point of this is, is that we're coming together in mass. And when we do that, these, these legal systems aren't going to be able to shoot down our evidence. And, and that's what has happened before now is that we've come together just as, you know, a defendant and a plaintiff and, you know, the defendant is pharma. So they hire somebody who comes in and, you know, either bribes the judge, threatens the judge, or, you know, finds a way to get the case thrown out. So they can't do that with this. So we're using a notary as uh, the officer of court. Uh, notary holds an official uh, standing in the courts. And so that is a good way to kind of help us uh, at least maneuver getting around the judge and jury scenario. Uh, mm -hmm. The submission tactic that we're using is called a negative averment. And because we're coming in with so many thousands of expert witnesses, uh, that allows us to, to flip the, the verdict from instead of innocent until proven guilty, we're coming in as these things have been shown. In fact, we've got thousands of expert witnesses to testify to it. So now it's guilty unless they can prove us innocent. So they'll have 30 days to dispute that. Once we get it submitted, they won't be able to because when we come in with thousands, they're not going to be able to come back at us with thousands more. And then at that point, it'll enter into the courts as proof. And uh, so we'll start at a, a state court level. We'll advance it to the federal courts. And after that's been completed, uh, our attorney plans on filing multiple uh, tort claims. Uh, and then that evidence will also become usable by any litigating attorney. Now, we've had people try and do this before. There's a team of doctors, uh, the physicians with... Uh, um, Dr. Malone and McC Peter McCullough have uh, uh, gotten this group of 16,000 physicians and they mm -hmm. signed an affidavit that they call a declaration. Now, I'm not sure if they submitted that to their governments or whatnot, but unless it's submitted correctly with a wedding si signature and a supporting video testimony, it's mm -hmm. not going to fly in the courts. So that's yeah, really- They'll, they'll dismiss it. Okay, well, it's not admissible and therefore all of the good works you did uh, strategically not going to work. And perhaps that's where they failed thus far. And this right. sounds like a different strategy to make it so that they cannot, uh, you know, cannot declare it inadmissible. They would have to now attack each affidavit and destroy the evidence that is, is existing within that. Via Correct. And using the, the, the notary as well, again, putting it on, yep. on the, you know, it's like, it's admissible. They can't reject it. In other words, so it's a different strategy. I understand that. Now, I also think it's a long-term strategy. It's not instant. You don't just do it, file it, and everything ends. There's a lot of Correct. maneuvering, a lot of things that happen on many levels. But nonetheless, I think it's a, a viable and valuable strategy. That's a little bit uh, guerrilla warfare kind of ways to utilize the courts in a way that they're not maybe prepared to uh, respond to because they're not expecting it. 
That's absolutely what it is. So our attorney, actually, that's what he says. He says he practices guerrilla lawfare. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny you brought that up. Uh, he's been actually using this uh, this judicial process for about 28 years. So he's mm -hmm. extremely adept at it. And uh, it's not, you know, a lot of attorneys hear this and they say, oh, well, you're doing a an administrative process. And well, yes, that's true. This administrative process is going to set the groundwork for uh, for um, uh, criminal litigation. Mm -hmm. So it, this really is about setting us up to have massive uh, criminal and felony homicide charges to follow. And that's what all of these litigating attorneys aren't taking into account is that, you know, you can't just go in with criminal homicide and win, you know, you, I mean, it's possible, but why not set yourself up to win by doing, um, these types of administrative processes first. Most standard attorneys don't really know anything about a negative environment. As a matter of fact, I haven't met one yet that does, which is too bad because this is something that, like I said, our attorney's been doing for 30 years and he wins every time. But yeah. I just want to impress how important um, this this really is. If you are a uh, doctor, nurse or scientist or someone with uh, experience in the medical field, whether you're active or retired, it really does not matter. We need your your signature. We want thousands of these. And uh, it's actually the whole process has just been streamlined up at standfirmnow.org. You can go up there, print the affidavit, take it to your bank or, you know, a UPS store, get it notarized. Bank is free. UPS store is 10 bucks. Mm -hmm. uh, but once that's done, uh, you you have to made it, mail it, certified mail to our attorney and mm -hmm. uh, and then submit the video testimony up on the website. It shouldn't take you more than an hour or two. But I see. Also, there are events coming up where they're like I was at that event Sunday after the reawaken tour and, and there were doctors and nurses all there. Even a naturopath was there. It was awesome. And uh, yeah. they were signing it. They were videotaping it, everything so that they had it admissible in a sense to do it right. Uh, on the upcoming events uh, tab, there's uh, Atlanta's mentioned. Are, are, are we going to have people? I know Kimberly Overton and a bunch of nurses are going to be with us at the uh what is it uh, next steps next, next steps, steps. is that the thing that's going to be how are you going to be there for that i will be there and i am going to try to come with a notary in hand okay. uh that would be the most ideal way to do it i do have all the affidavits printed and ready i will have my cards um you know it's really a matter of, of getting you know a notary present and having the time to record it it takes about 10 minutes to record yourself reading the affidavit because mm -hmm. that's a lot of times people are like oh well can i just do the signed affidavit we really need to come in with all of it so that might be a convenient way to, if you're at the next steps conference if you're a nurse a doctor something in the healthcare profession even if you're retired uh, that would add to the strength of uh, the argument and make it very difficult, if not impossible. I'd like to think that, but at least very difficult for them uh, to just deflect it, like, you know, flicking it off like they've done so many other uh, challenges and suits done. Not this way, not this way. So there's upcoming events in Phoenix. It looks like Nevada City, Orange County, California, Sacramento, Northern California and Las Vegas. Uh, so um, anything you, you want to do to let us know or if you have links to that, we'll be happy to remind folks because I think it's a great, great opportunity to um you know take part this doesn't take a lot of effort by people to show up sign an affidavit and get videotape it's not like they have to appear in court uh so it, it really right. is uh, and, and the impact could be profound 
That's the thing. It's like, I want people to understand is that, you know, this small action could cause such a profound response. It, I really feel that this is kind of like the linchpin. It's kind of like the foundational structural support. We're going to pull mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And then the house is going to crumble. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, uh, Gail, I'm looking forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks then uh, in Atlanta, Buford, Georgia, outside of Atlanta at the Lake Lanier Islands Resort. Next-steps.info. On the 21st will be the, the uh, Nurse Freedom Network event, a day-long event as well, and that'll lead us into the full-on uh, setting up the Parallel Society, next-steps.info. Please use the, the code RSB10 to get 10% off your tickets if you if they're available. I think they're selling out, so please plan to be there. And uh, Gail, anything I can do to help and uh, say hi, give a hug to Christiane Northrup. I love her dearly. She's amazing. Uh, it's, it was so good to, to see you as well in, in Nashville and look forward to the next time we're together. Thank you so much. All right, y'all, check it out. We have it linked up. It's standfirmnow.org, standfirmnow.org. And I'm excited that, that uh, Gail will be, Gail McRae will be as well at the event uh, with Tia Severino and so many of others uh, that are going to be there. It's going to be an amazing, amazing few days together. Please, please to attend. Uh, another thing I, I want to address is a question of the day. Uh, sometimes I, I bring things up and maybe I speak too quickly. Or maybe I fall into my uh, southern drawl that I was, you know, from New Yorker when I was a little kid to a neutralized Floridian to a Georgian, a southerner. Uh, I don't know what it is that some people can't understand me, but I'm willing to uh, take the time to explain stuff. So, Super Don, was there a question that came in about something I said? Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, here it is. This is from our friend Mike. Uh, Mike is uh, a supporter uh, through our uh, Patreon, uh, and they join us on our AMAs uh, monthly. We haven't set the date for that this month, but stand by for that. He said, you mentioned a liver care product recently. I've been looking in local health food stores and drug stores and cannot seem to locate any products that fit what we're looking for. However, I did locate a product on Amazon that looks like it may be what we need. Is this it? Any, any references, a product called liver care uh, by Himalaya USA. Uh, and, and indeed, Mike, you did find it. Um, this is something that I learned about, gosh, 20 or more years ago as an adjunct, a compliment to what I was doing. And, and I'm not a big fan of Amazon, but if you can find this in your local stores or mom and pops to support them, um, this is an easy, uh, liver supplement that's out of India and it's considered a, a, a prescription. I don't know if it's a uh, sorry, prescription or over the counter, but it's a mainstay drug as an herb. It's not synthesized. It's not synthetic but an herb that is used to treat hepatitis C and cirrhosis. So if, if, if it can reverse those things, how well do you think it'll do for congestion of the liver? Now we're big fans and I'm a big fan. And my wife utilizes the can jest that we get from Jonathan at choose to be healthy.com. But if you find that's repulsive, I mean, I want people to have options. I'm not saying it's the only one thing you could do, but remember we talk about the whole food selenium. This is a whole food product. This is a plant based Ayurvedic formulation for the liver. Uh, they're not a sponsor. I wish they were because I love the product. And I do take a couple of their capsules every night as an adjunct to the other things that I do for my liver, which includes selenium and chromium that I get from Jonathan at choosetobehealthy.com. But Mike, that's an easy thing. It's in a capsule, so uh, it doesn't require mixing with warm water. I guess some people are just, it's too much for them or they can't handle the mud tea. But I love the liver support that we also get from CanJest, the Alta products from Jonathan at choosetobehealthy.com. Use the code RSB5 to get a little discount uh, there as well. 
Uh, in addition, um, there's an experimental vaccine we're learning about as we covered the fungal issue, the scary fungal stuff that they want to, you know, uh, the, the little ants that are taken over and grow a horn and then they're controlled. Uh, they're now looking at animal experimentation and that they're saying they may have a triple vaccine to prevent severe fungal infections. And uh, I, obviously, I'm very wary of this. Every time they say we've got a new vaccine, I'm like, go the other way. This is not the way to go. Remember that fungal species can only exist in the right terrain. That right terrain is a decaying terrain, a terrain that is so deficient and so toxic that nothing else can break it down but fungal species. So remember the utilization of both silver and copper that can temper that and can neutralize, particularly copper is wonderful as an antifungal and can do so without harming the rest of your body and your cells. Silver is also beneficial. So both the sovereign silver and sovereign copper I would recommend and or the Argentin 23 silver in these cases. And homeoprophylaxis could be utilized. You can make these forms of fungal species into a safe form for ingestion that is in its homeopathic form rather than relying upon ne the next level of experimental injections for fungal infections that are not caused by the fungus, but the fungus are incidental to a terrain that has become so corrupt due to our lack of knowledge, right? Children perish for a lack of knowledge. Isn't that where I've heard that somewhere before? And the ability to apply the knowledge that we don't even have, that is the law of the terrain, the recognition that these things we call pathogens are not the problem. It's the host. It's the home. What kind of home are you giving for a healthy microbiome, including some fungal species that are part of that normal microbiome, like candida, different forms of candida that exist in our bodies, but don't cause problems unless we have been on numerous antibiotics or eating, you know, glyphosate infested foods, et cetera. Even E. coli is something found in the colon normally and is not deadly when you're in a healthy state of microbial balance. And remember this, if you are with me for a long time, it's a reminder. If it's the first time I'm going to relate this to you, even in the peer-reviewed scientific literature I've established and pointed to studies that show even if you do ridiculous amounts of silver that I would never do, like 2,000 times the reference dose, and flood the gut with it, there is still no negative impact on microbiome biodiversity. You cannot say that with antibiotics, synthetic poisons. Silver is quite unique in that realm, and as, as is copper for a lot of reasons. So we'll continue this discussion, and any other questions or comments you have, please drop them in the, in the chat room at robertscatbell.com slash listen. Sign up for the newsletter by coming to our website, robertscatbell.com, or basically uh, texting 22828. That's the number to text. What do you text? RSB, my initials, RSB, to 22828. And we'll talk more about some amazing things that are happening. Uh, a special thanks and shout out yesterday. Jamie Dorley was fantastic from Nutritional Frontiers. We were talking a lot about liver. So for those of you looking for other things to do for your liver, Nutritional Frontiers has some excellent options as well. Go back and hit the archives from yesterday's show on the 7th of February. Today, the first airing of this show, the 8th of February, 2023, where I remind you that the power to heal is yours. I'm coming for you, Ty Bollinger. I'm working out. I'm lifting some weights. I'm pumping it up. But no, not anywhere near. Look at this guy. He's ripped, man. I, You know, my nickname is Ripped RSB at the gym. I didn't get it 
for myself. They they said it, but you ripped TMB. Ridiculous. <laughs> Good to be on, Robert. Um, I'm not. I'm. St- I don't think I'm still as ripped as you are. You're really, really ripped. But um, I'm about as lean as I've been in a while. Yeah. No, you're looking great, man. It's a, it's so impressive. I mean, look at those arms. You're not even trying. It's just scary. And and yet, as we were talking behind the scenes here about, you know, I'm a bit sore. I was doing some dumbbell presses in round two yesterday, and uh, just you know, multiple. Even if you don't do heavy weights, if you do enough reps. It has an equivalent uh, manifestation of "ow, I'm sore." <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, it's all. Weight. That's what it's like. We could talk about this on air. Yes, and um, let me get my my seat's about to fall over here. Sorry, hang on. Sounds like Super Don's seat used to be. <laughs> all right, there we go. Now I'm now I'm okay. There it's you go. Yeah, I don't know why my seat was was kind of tipping over there for a second, but um. Yeah. So when you're in the gym, you're talking about your, your, your pecs are sore because you're doing dumbbell presses. What, what do you, yeah. how much are you pressing and what kind of extra, what kind of circuits are you doing? I was just curious. Well, this, this was a round two yesterday was uh, dumbbells. I was doing uh, 30 pounders and just, uh, you know, tw- I think it was 12. And then I'd switch over to a modified burpee with uh, a mountain climber. So you're doing some, a little bit of mix up with uh, uh, some uh, cardio in addition, and then come right back to it the next step. So you're wearing yourself out puffing and puffing and still pumping it through all the way through three rounds as many as you could. And I did that a couple of times through and, and okay. that's what I said, I'm feeling it. I've, I've felt worse when I've done bench press in the past, but we uh, don't often do that. So it's kind of a mix, you know, every day is different, which is fun for me. I never get bored with the workouts that way, but mm-hmm. I definitely feel, and my weight has come up. As I've said, I've been trying to put on some weight so I can't be blown over by a light breeze. And so <laughs> man, it's coming up. So I'm really, I'm really pleased with uh, what's going on in the gym. Yeah, and you know you're you you look great, and you, I can tell you've picked up some muscle from you know a couple of years ago, so uh, you're looking a lot fuller, and you've always been ripped. But um, I was just curious as to what you were doing there in the gym because there's all kinds of different philosophies on what kind of weights should you lift heavy, should you go yeah. light, should you do circuits. The bottom line is, um, I think that you should do. And this isn't a weightlifting show, but here's just my my two cents because I've been really really back into training heavily the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. And um, it's do whatever you can to feel the muscle work. Mm-hmm. That's really the best general rule. So, I mean, you, you've seen guys at the gym that are bench pressing, you know, 500 pounds, but they're, they don't look like they're, they, they don't look like they have a lot of muscle. Right. And you've also seen guys that are only using 30 or 40 pound dumbbells pressing, yeah. but they're huge and ripped. Well, it's yeah. because there's a difference between strength and, and building the muscle and focusing on just building the muscle. And so a lot of guys that are really strong don't really look like they have a lot of muscle because the strength exercises are a lot different than just trying to tone the muscle. Mm. So uh, too many times people get into lifting heavy weight as opposed to just work the muscle. So, yeah. cause you know, I'm 55 now, so my joints aren't, my muscles are still strong, mm-hmm. but my joints hurt more than they used to 20 years ago. So. It might not, you know, when I'm pressing, I don't ever do more than 80 pound dumbbells mm. because, and I used to press with like 150s. Yeah. Well, now um, I'm just using 80s, but well, yeah. why? It's not because I'm not strong, but the tendons and the joints hurt. And so sure. if I start pushing it much heavier than that, I'll hurt myself. So mm. you want to stay healthy. And so as you get older, a good general rule is go a little bit lighter and more reps to get yeah. the blood in the muscle without hurting the tendons or the joints. Yeah, I love that insight. I appreciate that because that's not my necessarily my area of expertise. Although I, you know, I love working out, but I haven't ever had that history of focus that you had in terms of 
working the weights, muscle building or bodybuilding. And, you know, I'll also give a, a, another plug and shout out to the certain key minerals, especially as you age to counteract some of the, the, the joint weaknesses and, and, and tendon and, and cartilage. We talk about connective tissue minerals for years. We've been talking silica or silicon, but there's also the copper, you know, and, and now we have the sovereign copper and you were too busy because I had a bunch of copper for you on the last trip to, to Nashville, but that wasn't enough to get you to come see me. I don't know what was going on. But anyway, incentivize you. But yeah, the copper is amazing in working with uh, the connective tissue and regenerating it. I mean, look, I'm doing these roundhouse sidekicks or whatever they're called up to, you know, head level. You know, when I started out a couple of years back, I couldn't kick anything, hardly mm -hmm. a soccer ball. So the thing is, even at our in our 50s, to be able to do the things I'm doing now, it didn't happen the first day. But right. consistency, consistency, and then finding right. out what minerals can I utilize to strengthen the connective tissue so that I can withstand the things. Maybe I couldn't withstand, uh, you know, weightlifting like you pointed out. Serious. But is it necessary? Not really. No. Not at all. In fact, I'm doing great considering. And, and again, you're looking better than ever. Thanks, man. Um, and again, heavy weightlifting, not necessary. I think you should just try to do something to engage your, your muscles every day, engage your body to work it, you know not necessarily putting it a lot of stress, but just keeping it active Yeah. Um, because what you don't use, you lose. And that I'm learning that even more as I get older. Um, like for instance, you were talking about doing the kicking really high and you used to not be able to do that. Yeah. When I first, start, uh, when I first started getting back into hit, lifting consistently a, a year and a half ago and have been hitting six days a week ever since, um, I started really training legs again for the first time in 20 years. Right. Mm. Because, you know, you just make excuses, whatever, you know, people, people are like, yeah, you don't want to do legs. So I, I skipped legs for a long time because I was like, I guess if I only have a limited amount of time to work out, I'm going to keep my upper body in shape. And then my legs yeah. had pants on. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that doesn't really cut it because your legs are part of your core. So it's really not a good thing to do. I should not yeah. have done that. But I'm back into training legs. One of the exercises that I loved, used to love to do was lunges. Mm -hmm. You know, you grab a dumbbell on each side or a barbell on your on your neck yeah. and you do the you step you know, mm -hmm. long steps and you take your knee down to the floor with the weight on you. Mm -hmm. I got back into doing this year and I, I couldn't even do one lunge and it wasn't because wow. my, I wasn't strong enough. It was, yeah. I wasn't balanced enough. Yes. I kept yeah. falling over. Absolutely. And so I'm like, goodness gracious, you don't realize how many uh, per peripheral muscles are involved with certain movements with just balancing and so forth that you have to get back into the swing of it. And so now I can grab a couple of dumbbells and do lunges. I, I, you know, our basement down here. Yeah. I walk the basement as I'm doing lunges. I go down to one end and down to the other. I just keep walking, doing lunges and, I, and no problem. But it's because I'm, I just, I'm better balanced now. I'm practicing and, and I'm becoming more limber yeah. and so forth. Yeah. That is, and you're right. That is the big part of it. When you start, it isn't just the ability to go up and down. It's a recognition that there are so many muscles involved in the balance of utilizing that at I still am working on and it's part of it, yeah. but it's exciting. It's fun to be able to get better and stronger and do things you couldn't do. And yeah. this discussion of course was not planned today at all. It's not on the newsletter or anything like that, but it's one of those things where I, I like talking about it because maybe it'll inspire somebody else to go, all right, I can start. I don't have to do it all at once little by yeah. little and I'll be able to do some things. And that's, you know, that's how we get there. Uh, so I'm excited yeah. to do it. And sp <clears throat> speaking of that, remind me uh, when, uh, Bryce is starting his first pitching of the season. When is that? Is it going to coincide with one of our shows or not? Um, his first start will be, looks like next Saturday, February 18th. 
okay. is their first game, and he's supposed to be the, the starter for opening day. Um, so I'll uh, I'll send Super Don over a couple images that if you want to, you can put up on the screen that that uh, I created for the the Covenant College to start putting up on social media to generate a buzz. Nice about the things. It's like you know, it's it's a D three school, right? And so. Right. And very beautiful school, great campus, but they don't actually allocate a lot of funds to the sports yeah. like the D1 schools do, where they have these immaculate locker rooms and they have a social mm -hmm. media team and so forth. They yeah. don't have. So, so I've been creating some images to send so for them to put up on social media. Kind of fun working with them. Right. But I'll send a couple over for Don and he can he can give them to I you. Love you, it. Might, you might put them up. That'll be great. Now, the 18th, just so you know, uh, for Saturday. everybody. Yeah, it's a Saturday. I'll be at, at the uh, in glendale california with jonathan emord you know he's officially declared oh, yeah. for united states senate and i'm trying that's to great. help him the way i can because he's a good man and he understands health freedom like nobody that's ever run for the senate outside right. of ron paul uh running you know all the things years that he's done now that event is happening glendale california la area i'd love for anybody listening in that area to plan to be there go to emord4va.com also on the saturday the 18th i'm gonna be a busy boy that day i've got to moderate a panel for Trinity School because the Trinity Virtual, the Health Freedom Expo, which, by the way, Ty presented there, and you'll be able to access Ty's great presentation, and, and he was on a panel discussion as well. And so all of these things are, are made accessible the 18th and 19th of this month, February, virtually through the Whova app or on your computer, and you'll have three months to see it all. And it's only like 30 bucks, dude. That's the best deal ever. So take advantage of that as well as uh, lend your support in any way you can to Jonathan Emore to have him as a U.S. Senator. It'll be out of Virginia, but you can imagine the things he'll be able to do and say on the floor of the United States Senate to put establishment Democrats and Republicans in their place when they stray from the Constitution. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, it's, it's very exciting that, that Jonathan's running and um, well, he'll he'll have our full support. I know he's got your support and a lot. Uh, I mean, everyone in the health freedom movement, he's going to have huge support, I think. I'm ex very excited about that. Yeah, and he was just down there. I called him, talking to him this morning at the Villages in Florida, uh, and Casey Krejci was the guy that introduced him. Our buddy Casey was awesome. So he's oh, really all in. Uh, and many of our friends in the natural health and health freedom movement know Jonathan because he's been a champion for so many decades now, beating back the FDA, the oligarchy that yeah, fights yeah. against our freedom to know what supplements are and what they can do and have the freedom to choose our healthcare and to have bodily autonomy, to be free of mandates and prohibitions when it comes to our health. So he's yeah, a guy yeah. that we can, you know, there's no question, you know, when sometimes you have a little reluctance because of this or that, no, no, no reluctance at all with Emord. No. And, and also, you know, Jonathan is not a, a, a Johnny come lately. Okay. Yeah. Like there's a lot of Johnny come lately's over the last couple of years. Right. And it's, it's not that it's bad. It's just, they don't have a track record. So it's like some people, you're not really sure what you're getting at this point. Mm -hmm. With John, with Jonathan Emord, he's he's not Johnny come lately. He's been in the health freedom movement forever. And he's uh, you know, he's he's proven over the past couple of decades what kind of man he is and that he's consistent. Yeah. So yeah, he'll he's we're really excited about that. And he's not a coward like many of these rhino Republicans yeah. that are how would you say that they are? I don't even like the term rhino, but let's just call them fair weather people in in, in they say they're for freedom, but yet not really, right? This guy is committed his life to this, and it's yeah. it's a distinct difference, and that's why I appreciate it. And y'all yeah. y'all might get sick of me talking about it, but I'm not going to be sick of talking about it. I'm very excited about Jonathan Emord. So yeah, I I, uh, I call them flynos actually, freedom lovers in name only. Yes, freedom lovers in name only. That's great. I, that's a good way. Flynos. So um, 
this relates to you and Charlene and, and so many of our friends in the health freedom uh, community uh, about the censorship issue. There's an article on Natural mm-hmm. News. I see it by just the news editors. It talks about Congress is set to expose what may be the largest censorship system in U.S. history. And, and you know, this is something intriguing. Will the Republicans that control the House barely go through with these investigations? That will only strengthen what we know has happened and, and, and tie what you know has happened to you personally. And, and all that you've tried to put out in, in regards to health information that is not false in misinformation and disinformation or malinformation. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, could Congress help in this way finally instead of being a hindrance? You know, they, they could. Will they? <laughs> I don't know. Will they do the right thing? It's hard to tell. Hard to tell who's been bought off already. Um, it, so I, I don't really know. Um, I know that they could help. And, and I'm pray, I'm prayerful. We are hoping, hoping and praying that these hearings do some good for our cause and for the cause of everyone out there that's been censored and the current censorship is still going on. But will it? I, I don't know. I'm, I don't really have my my hopes up too high just based on the fact that it just seems like every time over the last couple of years when Congress or the Supreme Court was supposed to do the right thing, that they wouldn't. And you're like, how can they not see that? So, um, yeah, we'll we'll see. We, we do know that the um, the pharma lobby is one of the biggest lobbies mm-hmm. in, in D.C., is the biggest lobby in D.C. So and we know there's collusion with pharma and with big tech and with uh, you know, big media and the government. We know they're all colluding together. That's what all the Twitter files showed without a shadow of doubt. As a matter of fact, did you see the, it was a, a black congressman that was questioning mm-hmm. one of the people on Biden's staff, I think about the emails with, uh, I think it was Twitter on the Twitter files, like five direct emails to Twitter or links that they asked Twitter to take down because yeah. he at first asked her, have you had any communications with Twitter on this? And she said, not to my knowledge. And she'd be like the one that signed off on the emails, right? Oh my God. And then, and then yeah. she's like, not to my knowledge. And he's like, can you pull up? He's like so anxious at that point. He's, could you pull up the, the five emails or, or five of yeah. the five links? So that behind him on this big screen at Congress, he's got five different links that they specifically asked Twitter to take down. They were censoring. And he says, would you like, like to comment on this? And he had no answer. Wow. But um, I didn't see that. Uh, yeah, so if we all I'm saying is if, if we have congressmen like that that are in this committee that's going to mm-hmm. be looking into this, I'm hopeful then at that point, because it looks like there are still some good people. So maybe I'm a little more hopeful thinking about that than I was two minutes ago before yeah. I remembered that conversation. So maybe maybe right. there is some hope. Well, and we it's not like we can count on it. But at the same time, that's why. You guys have engaged in a, a court action, which these things yeah. are not easy either, uh, long-term uh, impact perhaps against the social media networks that became the de facto town square or news outlets, if you will, yeah. that colluded so overtly that it's not even subtle. The question is, you know, what's next in terms of that suit? Where does it go? Is there any updates to reporters? It's still too preliminary. Yeah, it's still preliminary. These kind of things move slow. So uh, nothing new to report. If there is any big news, I'll let you know. But at this point, just still preliminary. Gotcha. All right. Well, uh, let's see some of the other studies and stories here coming up. Forbes is reporting that Big Pharma is spending more on ads pushing lower benefit drugs. Uh, According to this study, uh, they're talking about the proportion of advertising allocated to direct to consumer ads was uh, an average of 14.3% higher than for drugs with low added benefit, uh, oh, for drugs with a low yeah. added benefit than for those with high added benefit. 
According to peer review analysis, nearly two-thirds of the country's top-selling drugs prescriptions, 92 of the 135 drugs data uh, was available for, were rated as offering patients low added benefit. Could it have something to do with the higher cost and higher profitability of the new drugs that are still in patent protection? Oh, I'm sure that has nothing to do with it. I'm sure it has nothing to do with it. Um, I'll give you a quiz. Mm-hmm. And I know you'll get 100% on this, but there's only two countries that allow DTC for yeah. drugs, the direct-to-consumer advertising for drugs. Who yeah. are they? Well, it's the uh, uh, U.S. And, and New Zealand. There you go. So yeah. I knew you'd get those two, and and probably most of the audience would guess U.S. was one of the two, and then yeah. New Zealand's the other. So New Zealand, you know, United States, the only two countries in the world that allow direct-to-consumer advertising for drugs, for, for pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Um, it's so funny, too. You know, out of the mouth of babes, comes such wisdom, right? And well, Charity's no longer a babe, although I still do call her my little yeah. baby girl. She's almost 13. Unreal. But um, we were watching, they're, they've always got the drug advertisements. I'm always watching ESPN when I'm working out in the workout room and lots of drug commercials on ESPN, maybe all over the place. That's the station I watch. And Charity watched one of the commercials and it's one of the ones that has the butterflies and all the flowers and the beautiful, you know, the voice and the music and all that going on while they're telling you all these side effects of the drug that it may cause, you know, whatever eyes, your eyes to bleed may cause brain bleed may cause you to, you know, to pass out, whatever this long list of side effects and charity just looked up at me and she said, daddy, why would anyone take that drug? And I'm like, I agree with you, sweetie. I, why would anyone take a drug, you know, that's a, that's for either depression or for a headache or whatever that, that causes worse than the the symptom itself. So, you know, like I said, out of the mouth of babes comes a lot of wisdom. I mean, most people, I think, have been so brainwashed that their doctor knows best that they don't even think about it when he's got them on eight prescriptions, mm-hmm. eight prescription drugs, and they're all for symptoms that were caused by the first two problems. I mean, the first two drugs. Yeah. So it doesn't make any sense. But when you think about the doctors know best kind of concept, but then why is big pharma targeting the bulk of their advertising to the consumer, the end user of the drug that they can't even access without a doctor writing a script for it. Isn't that interesting? It is, but, but the, the, the patients are the best, uh, drug, uh, what reps in the world, Mm -hmm. right? They go back to the doctor Mm -hmm. after they've seen the commercials and they're convinced they want to take this drug, even though there are a million side effects, but they like the butterflies and the nice music at the first they've Mm -hmm. been brainwashed. Right. They go back to the doctor and they're like, I've got these symptoms and I saw, you know, Zaprexil might be the best drug for me. And, and the doctor's like, cool, here's your script. I agree with you. That's a good prescription. He's already got a sell. He's already got a willing victim, right? That would come to him with this. And I mean, not that all doctors are evil. I'm not saying that, but it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a, a transaction waiting to happen. He's going to write that prescription. They're going to be on that drug because they're already sold and he's sold and He's making money on this prescriptions. He's making money. Now he's, they don't make kickbacks per se, but yeah. they're incentivized in other ways. Yeah. That's still a very uh, big problem in terms of conflicts of interest that are yeah. up and down, all up and down the drug industry. And it's capturing of our uh, agencies like FDA mm-hmm. and FTC, even uh, the ability to communicate truthful, not misleading information about yeah. natural substances that are not patented or officially approved by the FDA. Those are not allowed even if you can scientifically validate them. That's, you know, the big battles that uh, Emord has, has fought and beaten the FDA on, yet still he found the FDA still just flouts the law and flouts the, even the uh, court rulings. And so that's one of the reasons why he said, you know what, I've got to do better. I've got to do more. 
I don't want to leave this, this planet. And when my days are done and tell my kids that I didn't do everything within my power to try, you know, and I respect yeah, that. Good. good for him. Wasn't it yeah. the, the first time that we went to one of his conferences together, wasn't it called the sacred fire of Liberty conference? Yeah. He, he every 10 years, he would host the sacred fire of Liberty event. And this has been okay. going on for a few decades. And that one was on the shores. Uh, I think, somewhere on the Virginia shoreline, you know, by yeah. Chesapeake Bay and all of that beautiful it place. Was. And it was quite event. And he honored so many amazing doctors, health freedom advocates and, and everything. And, uh, you know, that was just, you know, these are the things we've done. And in fact, at that event was when I was in the pool with Jonathan, we were out cause it was a nice, it's still warm out whenever it was. And we were swimming and both of us are blind as bats without our glasses. So we're like, talking our kids are playing whatever's going on out there and i was asking him how his radio show was doing because he was doing a show every week as well at the time and he said I, I think i have to give up my show i'm getting too busy there's too many demands on my time and and i and i said that would be a crime that would be a crime to give up your show but i'll tell you what if you join me every week on my show we'll make sure that doesn't happen he's like oh because i said you don't have to plan it at all it's kind of like ty you just show up <laughs> and, and we'll have fun and it's been great to show up right yeah, well, sometimes I can't even get Ty to show up. But yeah. uh, the point is, the let's say the spirit, the camaraderie of people that have come here to invest in liberty, if not for ourselves, then for our kids and then their kids one day. And and I think about that. That's why this man is a man of great integrity, why I appreciate him so much and why, you know, there's not a lot of people that I've gotten really enthusiastic about. You know, Ron Paul, of course, because we saw the, the man of integrity that he is. Uh Beyond that, we can go, yeah, I'd rather have this than that. But very rarely do I go, all right, I'm all in on something. And and that's the case here. Yeah, yeah. And it, I guess that that uh, I'm with you. We're, we're all in, too, as well. You said Ron Paul. So, oh, my brother Ron is maybe watching the podcast. Shout out, so, Ron. Shout out to Ron. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, back to the Jonathan Emor, that, that event would have been, what, 2014, maybe? Wasn't it 2014? Oh, yeah. I think so, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then he'll have another one next year, possibly? Possibly in the midst it'd of great, the, it'd be a great timing, right? As he's running for Congress to have sacred fire of Liberty right before it. Absolutely. And, you know, I look forward to the time where uh, the health freedom expo keynote speaker will be a United States Senator from Virginia. And we yeah. will have a weekly uh, visit from a United States Senator here on the Robert Scott Bell show. How cool would that be? Yeah, that'd be very cool. That'd be very cool. So yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep uh, following that, that race. And mm -hmm. I don't know, man, I, I have a good feeling about it. I do too. I, I I really see see him winning. Uh, I know there are a lot of forces allied against someone like him, but at the same yeah. time, there's a lot that, that has changed now, uh, particularly when it comes to health freedom issues. Even Republicans were not aware of a lot of the health freedom things we've been engaged and involved in for years and decades. And now because of COVID, they are, as well as many Democrats that are now disaffected by their own party, abandoning bodily autonomy and embracing pharmaceutical mandates and prohibitions of natural medicines, which many Democrats also use as well. So they don't have as easy a time to win and, and claim, oh, evil Republican. They've got to now tackle an individual like Jonathan Emord and what he stands for, which yeah. is in many ways different than the establishments, if you will, in terms of following the Constitution. So I, I, I think uh, it bodes very well, but we still got to get out yeah. there and do it and support it. So, Yep. Yeah. Speaking of the establishment, did you see any of the uh, State of the Union address yesterday? Mm -hmm. Well, Super Don watched it. I don't know uh, if if he has any commentary to add to the mix. I kind of tried to avoid it. Um, I, I think that uh, it, it, the Biden shuffle, I don't know how he even made it up there, but uh, somehow he was propped up. Was he a role? I don't know. 
But it, uh, Super Don, is there any commentary that you can add that would be like a spotlight we should pay attention to? Um, yeah, you know, he pretty much he checked all the boxes for the most part, you know. But uh, probably the, there there were two takeaways from from me. Did you watch it, Ty? I saw most of it, maybe. Yeah. Well, I think maybe half of it, and I saw enough okay. to to see several sections that were going to make good blooper reels that he said, but yeah, he, not, yeah. I mean, you know, look, it's, you, we all expect that at this point, there's like no yeah. real like surprises. Yeah. It's gotten kind of boring really, but yeah. uh, there was, there was, um, there was some, uh, Oh, how would you describe it? There was some noise coming from the seats oh, on yeah. some things when he would talk about it. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I'm encouraged because I would like to see our Congress uh, do the same thing like they do in Canada, where it's like if somebody says something stupid, uh, <laughs> they they go wild in the crowd, right? Well, you know, well, yeah. and there's there's Who's a lot of banter going? back and forth instead of this need for decorum. Yeah, so I see. You shove your decorum. We don't need decorum. Okay, it's phony. Your your decorum is decorum is phony, and it's it's disingenuous. Yeah. But in any case, um, I, I agree. I, I yeah. agree, man. I, I like the I liked a couple of instances where they they were like they well, a couple of them said liar, you're a liar. One of them, one of them was when he was talking about the the fentanyl, which he calls fentanyl, which drives me yeah. nuts. It's not fentanyl, <laughs> yeah. okay? It's fentanyl. Can you can you read? Can you pronounce letters? Fentanyl. Uh, in any case, he's talking about oh, they got this fentanyl problem. Uh, you know, people die and stuff. And and the congressmen were like, it's the border, dummy. It's yeah. coming across the border. You won't do anything about the border. And one guy yelled out, it's your fault. And, and yeah. so, yeah. He, he, you know, and he was kind of like, oh, mm. um, so that that was one. And then yep. I can't there was a couple other ones, but it, gets, it was OK. You know, yeah. I'm glad I watched it just because I wanted context from what people were going to be talking about today. Um, well, you know. I'm just I'm glad I watched it super D because I, he one of the statements he made really impacted me. Yeah. Biden said that if they ever outlaw, I'm going to veto it. <laughs> he, literally, he said if they ever outlaw, I'm going to veto it. It's like he misread the cue card or. Yeah, he may have been it. talking about I think that may have been the abortion uh, situation. I don't understand a word. So, yeah, just, he, he, he did say. It makes me feel confident. Yeah. Yeah. He it's said that like, if, if they tried to pass a national ban, that he would veto it. National mm -hmm. ban on something. Right? On but abortion. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> I have just one word. Well, I'm under pressure. You know? <laughs> I've got a video somewhere where he was, he was giving some press conference and he had a total brain fart. He was like, yeah, we could describe this, our country, in one word. And he goes, and it's like, oh, okay, thank you. Right. No. Yeah. Oh anyway. I mean, but honestly, you know, when that happens, it's, mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's funny, but it's also really sad and it's embarrassing also because he's really the representation of us to not just other Americans, but to the, most of the rest of the world. And so literally it's, it's like, we're, I mean, if I was in another country, I would be laughing my big fat butt off at everything I saw and going, man, it would suck to be an America now with him as your idiot leader, <laughs> but he is. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then he acted tough on China. That was another thing where it was funny. Cause you know, right on the heels of having this balloon thing flying over the country, 
and everybody yeah. looking up at it and stuff like that. And then last night it was like, if China tries to violate our sovereignty, well, fight back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, that's not what you did, really. You know, uh, you kind of let the thing just float all over the United States and take pictures and look at all of our, our uh, missile silos and our military bases and stuff, uh, you know, for a week before you shot the dang thing down. And, you know, oh, we want to be safe. want to make that- sure that... Isn't that kind of like uh, tackling the quarterback after the game's over? Yeah, yeah. Like, it really yeah. doesn't matter now. It's exactly, exactly what it is. Game's over, dude. Yeah. Did you notice the whistle blew? Yeah, I, I didn't watch it for that reason. I'm just, you know, that part of it is not in any way thrilling and exciting, and it's so disappointing. At the same time, I recognize, yes, we still have to deal with these things, and yeah. my goal, partly or you know, a big part of what I'd love to see, is that someone could like, you know, Emord uh, will get in there and do everything in his power to dismantle that centralized bureaucracy and oligarchy and restore the integrity of the constitution. So the States have, you know, their autonomy, the people have their autonomy and limited, very significantly limiting the, the federal government centralized bureaucracy, which has been because it's so strengthened and, and, and focused in one area becomes so ripe for purchase, takeover, intimidation, all of that. And, and some people say, get money out of politics. How many times do you hear that? Well, as long as you have power centralized, there'll always be money, even if you try to ban it. People will find a way to control one entity that will give them control over many or all, as opposed to just, you know, a diaspora, if you will, of power. It makes it much more difficult to have a monopoly stranglehold like we're witnessing today, because what our founders said and what our so-called political leaders do completely an opposite. And that in- includes much of the establishment Republican uh, party. They have really abandoned the idea of decentralizing and, 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 and disempowering a centralized federal uh, bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. All right. I know I, t- I just took the wind uh, out. What? Of What'd you say? What? 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 All right. Here, Ty, I got something for you. Here's, here's, here's a video I was referring to you. Check this out. Okay. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him in uh, foot. <laughs> I've seen that one. Why do I even bother? Gives me confidence to know that. Gives me confidence to know that. Foot to foot to foot to foot to foot. Yeah, that's pretty sad. Did you, uh, Robert, you know, not to be racist or anything, but um, you did you just use the word diaspora, which I thought was a really good usage of the word, but you are Jewish, so. You, of course, you you understand what the diaspora what diaspora means, but most people probably don't understand what that means. No, yeah, what what diaspora? Oh, what, a, who uses the word diaspora? Come it's on, like a, it's a, a dispersal, if you will. It's like the, the people are spread yeah. out everywhere, and, and it, it initially area. It initially referred to the 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 uh, dispersion of the Jewish people outside of Israel. That was the oh. initial usage of the word diaspora. That's so. If someone says the diaspora. They're talking about the initial dispersion of the Jewish people outside of Israel. So would that uh, be offensive to some to use that in other contexts then? Uh, you know, you can offend anybody with anything today. So I wouldn't. But I wouldn't you can't. But you, you can use it any way you want, Robert, because you're Jewish. So you can oh, say the word You get a free pass. you yeah. think. But remember when I criticized Jon Stewart, the world Jewish press just went after me for claiming I, I called a Jon Stewart a Nazi when I didn't. But, yep. uh, you know, so there's a hypersensitivity. They don't listen to words and context and meaning. Uh, and, and, you know, decentralizing power structures 
And I'm not talking about uh, uh, in a God sense. I'm talking on the human level where uh, if humans come together and centralize it, then there'll be great corruption. This was, you know, the lessons of our founding fathers in America said, you know what? We don't want a state sanctioned religion. We want freedom. We want people to be able to enjoy, you know, whatever religious beliefs they have. And, and, and so the idea that if you had one belief system, that's never what our country was about, although rooted in something that we call individual liberty, recognizing our rights come from God, our creator, not government. But by centralizing it, then the in interest of man separated from God, you know, distinct in terms of their desires to have, oh, you know, whatever the, the you know, the, uh, the deadly sins you want to call it and manifest through the power structure of a centralized bureaucracy in America. I mean, it's the antithesis of what the founders said. They warned us against this. And so to look for political saviors again comes only when we know the power structure is so strong there that if we only had the good guy, the right guy, it would all be better. It would be solved. And yet those people come and go. The oligarchy stays. The people that are not elected stay. And they are part of that power structure that Jonathan Emord knows so well and would do great battle against. Yeah, he, I think he will do. He will be doing great battle against. You know, I think it'll be a great battle between here and there, but I think that I, I have a good feeling about him. And uh, if he does get into Congress, that's when the battle will really begin. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, in order order for to uh, fight that battle, you got to have a strong moral compass. And yeah. uh, and 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 I think I, I know that he does. Yeah, he, he's not a guy that can be bought, uh, you know, oh, just to here, take this money and, and do this for me. It's like, oh, if it's not in alignment with the Constitution, I could see him being another like a doctor. No, because remember Big Pharma when they saw Ron Paul's office, they walked right by, like, don't even bother. <laughs> you know, that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Now, you, I'm going to talk family stuff for a moment. And, and, and Super Don, you can hang out or not if you want. But Charity is 13? She's your daughter. Uh, next 13. month. Yeah, next yeah. month. She's almost 13. That yeah, is isn't that crazy? Stunning to think. Of. I mean, little charity uh, growing little charity. up. No, I I wanted to tell a story uh, about my daughter, who's now seventeen and a half. And look, I I I I was always told that girls are much harder than boys, especially when they go through their teen years. And and I think that as a general rule, people often will nod and say that. I, I've been greatly fortunate that I could say my daughter was has been overall absolutely amazing and not a terror uh, <laughs> relative to what I've heard. And people go through yet this morning, interestingly enough, she was like, something was going on and she was like, not happy. Like, and, and at first my wife thought there was some kind of computer thing. She was having to do some homework to finish up, but no happened to be something about mascara mascara. Okay. Hmm. Like, Oh, this wasn't working. I'm not, it's not, I'm not trying to throw my daughter on the bus. It's one day. It could be a hormonal thing. Women, girls can do this, but it was a, an, an interesting journey this morning is, you know, I'm looking at the, the relative inconsequential elements of my gosh, my mascara looks horrible today, or I feel like I look ugly today and being very upset about it, being in that moment where it's like, Oh, the world is, is horrible. I got, you know, and, and if you've ever been there or seen a teenage girl there, dads, I try to be compassionate, but at the same time, I'm a little bit chuckling inside. Cause I'm a guy I'm going, it's really not that, but you don't tell them that you can't tell right. them that. And so we're on the way to school I'm driving her to school today. And we take a right turn on one of the main roads that go to the school. And suddenly I see down in the distance, uh, sirens and lights and all this. And there's a, 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 a basically stoppage. It's like traffic had stopped. I'm like, she was already going to be late because of this thing that happened this morning. And I'm like, well, now you got a real excuse for being late. Cause there's an accident up ahead and we're not going to be there on time. 
and she's still a bit fuming about the makeup thing or something this morning. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. But anyway, we get up to the scene of the accident. She says, oh, my God, that's my friend, Maya, and, and my other friend. They're in an accident. Now, they were okay, but the cops were there. She was standing outside. And, 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 you know, so we, we went, we got through the thing. She called her friend and her friend even answered, said, I'm okay. I'm a little shaken up and I'm okay. It was like a, a rear end kind of thing following too closely. Somebody hit the brakes real fast. And so as I'm coming home, uh, to my wife talking about what I had just witnessed and seen, I, I kind of wanted to text my daughter and say, see how important that was, that thing you thought was so important. And yet before I could get there, my wife says, look at this text Ari sent us. She's like, mom, I'm so sorry, but I, what I thought was important was so not important. And I had a really important lesson that happened, you know, because my, my friend got in an accident and I'm like, she was completely, she came to that conclusion so rapidly by herself. And it's like one of those moments you're a proud dad to see that yeah. you, you can go through an experience like that and come and you don't need a parent to show you where you were and where you are and what you could. And these things are learning lessons, whatever those kids, thank God they're fine. They weren't mm -hmm. injured but whatever they had to go through that spirit wasted nothing, even for my daughter to see yeah. that, to shake her out of something that was really inconsequential in terms of reality and put her in a position of like, how, how silly was I, how silly was I? In that? Yeah. That's, that's an awesome story. And tell Ari, I'm proud of her for learning on that because um, sometimes, you know, I can look at, at the past with me and sometimes things would happen that it would take me three or four times getting knocked in the head with something before I kind of finally learned my lesson. So it sounds like she learned the first time. So that's, that's a blessing. It shows that she's got a, you know, an open heart to that kind of thing. So that's good. Yeah. And I, and I love that about what she's been able to do and what we try to do, we strive to do as parents to raise our kids, to be able to see these things and, and, and even intellectually, uh, kind of dissect the, an experience and try to come to a conclusion without us having to say, here it is, this is yeah. what you're supposed to learn. And they, they come to that. And it's so, these are the exciting moments as a parent you go, oh, man, I feel really good about that at the same time. Uh, you know, it, it, it's rough. And again, you're now charity's going to be 13 and like, Oh my goodness. I pray for the most peaceful and calm teenager. Cause you've already had a teenage girl or two to go through these mm -hmm. things. I was thinking about that as you said that. Now, by the way, Super Don, can you show this? This is a, an acrylic uh, painting my, my daughter's working on. It's not finished. She'll probably be mad for showing everybody. But I'm looking at this and I'm going, dude, Ari, the, how do you, you make the light just pop from this thing? Like, you see that it's not even finished. She's like I said, she'll be mad. I'm, I'm not going to tell her I showed you. But uh, it's just fun to see. Like, like, I love these kids and what they're here to do and what they're here to bring. Yeah, that's awesome. That Ari, Ari's multi-talented. She's a, an awesome singer, and she looks like she's a great painter as well. So two yeah. thumbs up. It, it's fun, and this is just two dads talking about their kids yeah. right now. You can tune out if you want, but all y'all that have kids, you know it's fun to watch them develop whatever their talents are, and and whatever they are, they're they're unique and they're theirs, mm -hmm. and I just love pointing. That's why I enjoy talking about your kids and all that, what they're doing. Every time we get together, say, hey, what's the latest with Bryce and stuff. Mm -hmm. For me, it's really fun to see these kids grow up, become young adults and, 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 you know, understand what's important. And we all got things to learn, but uh, having a good foundation is, is just, I'm, I'm seeing things manifest that are encouraging for the future is my point. That's cool, man. Yeah. Ari and Elijah as well. I know he's really excelling at what he's doing with the, 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 the gold backs, backs right? Yeah. He's, he's involved with that. So, yeah, and and also the 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 uh, brass and and lead 
Yeah, he's quite right? adept at that as well. I, yeah. you know, he's our little expert in that realm too. Yeah. So, oh, look at this! Look at this! Oh my gosh! Yeah. So look that's he looks like uh, Randy Johnson again with the hair. He kind of does. Well, that's that's a this is one of a set of eleven images that I've created for the Covenant College baseball team social media to post. So this yeah. one, of course, will be posted next Wednesday, which will be uh, February the fifteenth, I think, which is three days before they go live. There's one for the day before. Just sent over a couple on the right there. On the far right, yes. Yeah, there's Bryce on the far right, and I'll tell you the story about this. That that's he's holding Oscar the Rally Owl in his left hand there. Yeah. So anyway, for those that have played baseball or sports, specifically baseball, you'll know that it's a game full of uh, tradition and kind of superstitions, sort mm -hmm. of. I guess mm -hmm. you know you've you've heard the stories of the players that wore the same undershirt every day yeah. they played or whatever, right? Because it, right. they felt like it gave them good luck or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so last year there was a, one of the first games of the season, they were down a whole bunch and mm -hmm. Bryce went and I think maybe it was his roommate. Or I'm not sure I'm getting the story right, but he got this route. He got this owl from someone there in the crowd and held it up. Mm -hmm. Well, they come back from a whole, you know, huge deficit and they win the game. So that was the game, the day that they adopted, they called him Oscar, the rally owl. Rally owl. So That's then awesome. every game after that, when they were down, they would, you know, hold up Oscar in the dugout. He was always in the dugout with them. Oscar was like their tradition. And yeah. if, you know, it's before they go up to bat, they'll go touch Oscar before they, <laughs> they go to warm up and stuff. But yeah. anyway, that became their Oscar, the rally owl. So that picture was taken there right after they beat um, a team, one of their arch rivals from uh, Maryville, mm -hmm. Tennessee. And yeah. there, it's the Covenant College Scots and the mm -hmm. Maryville Scots. Mm -hmm. But Maryville is where they wear red uniforms in Covenant College, as you can see, it's white and blue. So they and they don't like each other. Well, this was a game where they beat Maryville. Mm -hmm. And um, at the very end, they came back. Bryce was holding Oscar. The rally out. They come back. They all run out on the field. And right after that, in the picture, I've got the video, Bryce looks over walks a little bit towards the towards the hunting or the maryville dugout and yeah. just holds oscar up oh no walks back so he's like flaunting it so yeah. but anyway and then there was this hashtag campaign afterwards real scots wear blue instead of yeah. real scots wear red because if you've ever so, been in, in athletics and college athletics, this is rivalry stuff it was great. But anyway, yeah. anyway, that that's the story behind that picture. It's a, it's a, it, it, it holds a dear place in our heart because they beat Maryville and yeah. then Rice was able to hold up Oscar the Rally Owl. Well, and you got to now keep the Rally Owl under lock and key because often one of the things you see in these rivalries is the, they'll try the, to steal it. Steal it or they'll do that with mascots like, you know, you have a, a whatever a goat whatever it, it, but so anyway, that's part of the college athletic kind of uh uh I don't know what we call it, but frivolity, I'd like to say in a, in a positive way. Yeah. Uh, this, 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 here's another subject I, I'm, I'm going in. And thank you for indulging us on talking about our, our kids and stuff. It's fun to do. Oh, yeah, um, we talk about things that I believe should and would bring us together from various political views and things. And I look at this article in the Defender again. Bobby Kennedy coming from a long list, a uh, long uh, lineage of Democrats in that kind of thing. Although it's far different in the in the time of his uncle uh, and, and JFK. But this article says, "Pharma's gatekeeper: How the Prep Act protects everyone except those injured by vaccines." Now, why the people on the left have been so reluctant to help 
and, and, and be compassionate for those who have been injured because most of the people who have been injured were clearly pro vaccine because they got it. Now, some were coerced into it were not and just felt they had to, but for the most part to call people that are now injured and slur them with the term anti-vax or whether they are or not and have no compassion for the injuries that they suffer and, and the fact that there's no help for them on any level of government for those that believe in government as a savior in some way, shape or form. I'm not that in that area, but I recognize that they have engaged in criminal behavior and activity and should hold some level of liability for what, what has been done. And this article talks about that, you know, the people who have been victimized by the shot, they're injured. There's, they can't sue the government. They can't sue the pharmaceutical companies. And I'm thinking this is where I would see appealing off of those that have, you know, that are still have some level of compassion on the left of the Democrat party that would say, yeah. you know what, this is wrong. We've got to, we've got to make this right. And, and I don't know if it'll happen, but w- why is it that they didn't see the danger of turning their bodies and their government over to the big pharma that they used to be, be suspicious about. And suddenly they were all in on it. Well, I, I think the, the chief reason why is that questioning vaccines is the unforgivable sin in the church of vaccinology right so it it is a religion i was talking to my brother about this a few days ago i mean look at all the people that are dropping dead look at all the kids that are dying it's insane the number of people that are dying just suddenly Mm -hmm. so why does not everybody see it it's because vaccinology is a religion it's a cult and so people say, well, you know, why did the, all the people at Jonestown with with uh, Jim Jones drink the Kool-Aid? It's a cult. And whether they actually drank the Kool-Aid or whether they're poisons, another conversation altogether, we'll have another show on yeah. that. Yeah. But that's the reason it's because they're brainwashed. Right. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's the only reason that you can explain why people don't wake up to this, because they're they're it, they're in a cult. It's a religion of vaccinology, and they're not, you're not allowed to question. Otherwise, you're ostracized. Well, and the thing is, you you lose compassion for people. Well, you're not in our group. You're not in our religion. You're not in our cult. So I, I have an obligation yeah. to hate you or or ostracize you or make you feel. I mean, it, it's like it's it's just the for those people of faith out there. And I know many of you are compassionate and and have. And, and love people, even if they're not in your church or religion. And you have that, uh, you know, that Christ-like desire to be be good and be supportive and loving. But there are people in this cult of vaccinology that are completely devoid of compassion. And I'm not saying that there aren't people in, in various religions that are that way too. Again, this is a human experience and everybody's got, you know, their thing. But this one is big and bad. And it's like these people have lost whatever heart they had. To, to continually attack people that got the jab and that are injured by it. And it's so disheartening. No pun intended. Yeah, it, is. it is. And it's really sad just to see the the sheer numbers of, of people that are being injured, you know, dying suddenly. It's It's gotten really, it's ridiculous. It's so in your face that it almost seems surreal that not everybody is questioning the vaccines now. I mean, if it were any other intervention, if it were, if we didn't say it was the COVID vaccine yeah. that, that all these people had died within X number of days, but let's just say it was intervention A, that's yeah. what we called it. And you had intervention A had within two weeks of intervention A, 5% of the people had mm-hmm. serious side effects or death. You would mm-hmm. want to investigate that, right? But then you say, 
what if it's vaccines for COVID in the same scenario? And people are like, oh, no, we don't need to investigate. It can't be vaccines. They're safe and effective. You know, the brainwashing is very thick. Yeah. And it's true of the vaccines before COVID. Remember all of oh, yeah. those that had been talking about my child was healthy. And then afterwards there was autism. And they're oh, no, no, it can't be that. So you're right. It is a cult-like devotion. And finally, when we talk about compassion, how compassionate are people that are into, uh, you know, the environment that claim it's global warming or it's climate change and you guys have to stop eating meat. You have to stop, uh, you know, staying warm in the winter. How compassionate are they? It let's, this takes it to a new level. This final story here, global warming cult says surgery patients should receive less anesthesia so that they could save the planet. You, what? You're go undergoing a procedure. You're like, no, you should suffer the, the pain of that procedure with less or no anesthesia because apparently anesthesia somehow contributes to climate change. Is that possible? And if so, how? Anesthesia. Why don't we just, you know, if we, if we really want to save the planet, why don't we just give them no anesthesia? I mean, if less is better, none is, is great. Yeah. I mean, this makes no sense. And, and you're talking about even if this were a reduction in emissions or yeah. whatever, in order that they're saying, you know, these carbon emissions are the problem, which they're not. That's total yeah. other subject altogether. But even if it were, you're getting, you know, one anesthesia patient, you, you would probably have to do this for a billion patients yeah, yeah, yeah. to have the same effect of one jet airplane. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's so minuscule. But it's so... And, not compassionate. Once again, it's like, let's make sure people suffer. Right? Well, no, they want to still be able to fly their jets. So they yeah. want you to not have anesthesia when you're being operated on. So they can continue to fly their jets. Carbon credit offset. You don't get anesthesia so I can fly to Davos. Yeah. Be part of the World Economic Forum or whatever. Yeah. There's a, a money shot here is this uh, Dr. Mohammed Fayed. Uh, talking mm -hmm. about uh, an hour of the surgical anesthesia to a patient is equivalent to driving a car 470 miles in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. By the way, greenhouse gas emissions uh, include carbon dioxide, which they claim is a toxic poison, yet without carbon dioxide, there's no plant life. Plants and die. We all die. And yeah. we all die. Yeah, it's just so absurd. I, you know how, that, and that's another thing I want people to hear with uh, Jonathan Emord talking about uh, the environmental energy policy. There are ways in free market to innovate and utilize uh, the accessible energy we have in our country, you know, gaining independent energy independence and doing so in a way that is much cleaner than the so-called raping of the uh, rare earth minerals from the earth itself and leaving open pit scars and then creating battery technology that is so toxic once it's done, it can't be recycled to poison the earth further. I mean, so much of the environmental movement is so wrong, even if they have in their own minds the right intent. It's like, I want a clean environment. We all want a clean environment. But how do you get there? Do you slaughter half of the people on earth or more to get there? Is that, I mean, this is where I, I diverge from them and their environmental, uh, uh, you know, falsities, if you will. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's it's kind of like, you know, the people that are anti-meat so they developed these schmeats that are all fake and gmos it's like the product was 10 times worse than the meat ever would have been for you i mean the meat like, if it's, grown, it's raised properly is healthy and yeah. you're creating these lab foods that are just horrible it's the same effect with this the you know, environmental wackos as well yeah it's amazing all right well we're, we've gone through a whole two-hour show and uh oh time time was here for half of I'm it for half, half of it half of it uh, real quick, any upcoming events that you're partaking in that I should know about at this moment? No, at this point, nothing on the schedule. Okay. 
well, take the downtime, enjoy the kids, go go watch the college uh, baseball games, and hopefully oh, yeah, it'll be that we can simulcast it like we did, uh, was it last year or the year before, whatever. But it's been fun to watch uh, yeah. Bryce grow and develop as well. Love it. Love it so much. So love to the whole family. Say hi to Charlene for us. Well, and uh, tell everybody what they need to know before we got to go to the bonus round. Always remember the power to heal is yours. All right. This is affectionately what we call the bonus round. It's baseball season. We could call it extra innings as well, but it's going to be an abbreviated version because I've got a, a, apparently I'm on another show coming up in about eight minutes, seven, eight minutes from now. I got to remember what show it is I'm on. Goodness gracious. There's so much going on. Okay. Let's see. It's wellness Wednesdays. Uh, let's see here. What's the network. I don't even know the network wellness Wednesdays, but it'd be great. Whatever it is we're going to do. Wellness Wednesdays. Yes. I saw I got the same email. Hold on. Yeah. Uh, there's been I think a lot of those going back and forth. You know, I think it's from, uh, did you guys remember one of the interviews I did? And correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't I interview Amelia Love at the, uh, um, yes. Yeah. Amelia Love has kind of a, her own network. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a Christ centered focused kind of network and, uh, just good people. And they do some health stuff and, and they've invited me to come on the show today. And I, I forgot that I was even scheduled so that she called this morning, thankfully reminded me. And uh, I, I'm going to do that. Uh, again, I wish I knew how to tell you where it is. Um, but Amelia Love, look out on that. Uh, let's see. Oh, churchonsundays.com. Remember, that was the, the, one of the websites that she had, churchonsundays.com. Mm -hmm. But she's got some yep. kind of network that every day there's a different kind of show. And she is, Amelia is a love. She's a love. She's a sweetheart. And so I'm going to, do some uh, health discussion on that show coming up in just a few minutes. So if you guys want to tune on over the there, patriotpartynews.com oh, slash Amelia love. All right, there we go. Thank you for doing that. I couldn't remember. In fact, hold on here. I'll yeah. even like, I mean, when you do even better than that, hold yeah. on. I will show you. Mm -hmm. I hadn't had a chance to go through this email yet, so I didn't have any of this stuff, but they've got a nice little graphic here that you can, show that will be kind of a promo for what it is you're going to be doing oh really okay oh look at that go full screen on that i haven't seen that patriotpartynews.com slash amelia dash love wellness wednesdays wednesday february 8th 5 p.m eastern time 4 p.m that's almost that's right now uh looks like uh i can't read that laura, laura eisenhower eisenhower thank you yeah dr Lindsay miuccio okay dr robert scott bell they got me as a apostle dr j caprietta okay that should be a yeah. good panel of, of of health discussion so amelialoveworld.com apparently that'll get you there as well that might be easier to so find. i'm guessing if it's a wellness wednesday does that mean that it's live i think it is yeah i think well, it's there you go. Report. Yeah. all right so, so if you well, didn't get enough of robert scott bell today then all you got to yeah. do is go to the patriotpartynews.com slash amelia dash love well, uh, listen, Gail McRae was great. What a story she had to bring, uh, her history of being right in the middle of the hospitals and seeing the discrepancies we were reporting on from a distance, right? Claims of, oh, everybody's dying in the hospital. And she's like, honey, there's nothing going on here, right? Until the remdesivir started and then the shots came. And then suddenly, you know, as we've learned, and we covered this going, hey, look, we're not there, but there's a lot of strange stuff. They're claiming these things are overwhelmed and, and then, and then there'll be people with video cameras going, there's nothing going on here. 
she is another insider confirming what she saw was not what the mainstream media was reporting. And she was not in a, a far flung podunk city, you know, being in the Bay area. So right. and again, another layer of deception that's uh, being revealed as we go in. I wish it was in real time, but you know, after, after the, uh, the fact and going back and looking and going, don't trust the media. They lie all the time. And now with AI and deep fakes, it's like, man, you, you got to get <laughs> connected to some more valid source of information. Uh, so, uh, super D also in the opening, I, I went long on the open. I just realized how, how long I went on that open. Yeah. I was so concerned about the digital ID as it relates to maybe a climate emergency that they would declare and how they would try and usher in, which is their goal, digital identification, tying it into digital money, et cetera, and what that would mean. I don't know if I moved the needle at all, but thank you for indulging me on that today. Uh, you don't have to ask me. You have to thank me. I mean, well, what Look, was I going to? Was you, I going to do? Like, you can pull the plug. You, you're the turn you off or something? Yeah, right? unplug uh, him. He's yeah. going too long. You know, it's it's a tough one. It's another one of those things where, you know, if you think about what happened during the pandemic, and there were people that uh, refused to wear masks. Yeah. Or refused to uh, lock down, mm-hmm. and that was that was uh, that could be, get very awkward for people, right? And so yeah. here now you've got the situation with the real ID. Now, if you don't get a real ID, that could cause you some issues because some states are going to say, this is the ID. And, you know, there's a kind of a, a grace period, you know, type thing that happens when they're trying to make the, the transition and stuff like that. But eventually it's going to yeah. be, that is the ID you're going to have to have. So you, then you're going to have to make a decision. You know, yeah. if you don't have the real ID in some places, you're not going to be able to get on an airplane. Period. You're not going to be able to do it. They're just not going to let well, you get on a plane. They, you see, they keep delaying it. They've delayed it an additional right. two years. But eventually, they're going to stop doing that. And eventually, it's going to be you either get a real ID or you don't drive a car. Uh, well, so if, the time if is we coming. comply, if we comply, compliance is not uh, you know inevitable, as we've seen. They keep delaying it. But every time they think they're going to get it, you find out, man, it's impressive how many people are not complying. So yeah. I don't think it's a slam dunk, Super D. I'm not going to go with that. Uh, outcome as a, a visual, but I recognize, yes, we've got a long way to go to uh, educate people as to the severity, this real significance of a digital ID and what it would mean for freedom, the loss of it. And then the inevitable only way to get it back, unfortunately, it would be involving bloodshed, which we don't want to see and don't want to participate in there. So more people need to consider these things instead of just going with the flow. Leslie. Yeah. Leslie is amazing. It's true, but here's let's, let's talk about the human condition here. <laughs> <laughs> Very quickly, I'm almost out of time. Oh, I know you guys. See, you get me in a you know what? mood. I, 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 no, no, you I'm can, not going to do it by myself. I'm not going to do it by myself. I am not a host. You got lots of people in the chat room. They love to no, hear you. No, it's okay. I'm not going to do it. Take over. I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say this. Uh, unfortunately, most people go with the flow. That's just what they do. You know, the ones that don't listen to this show, but you Sheeple. know. Yeah, unfortunately, it's it is true. It is true. Wake them up if you can. If you can't, you, will you be awake and you be a living example for others and don't go down that road because that cliff at the bottom of that cliff it's filled with Nazi needles. Just going to say. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank I have a fan. Being. Look at that. Thank you, Leslie. I love listening to See? you. I told you. Yeah. Over the you know the there is going to be some stuff potentially. I was talking with Robert coming up here that we're going to be adding to uh, what it is that we're doing here, where I will be doing some stuff solo, but. Uh, we're working our way into that. Yeah, you go More ahead. Content. Take it. Take over. Take yes. over. I got to go. All right. Well, here we go. Bye, Robert. 
and goodbye, everybody. Uh, appreciate you tuning in. We will be back tomorrow with guests as usual. And um, you have yourself a great day. We'll talk to you later.